Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 25. We're spending eight weeks in Psalm 25, working our way through a psalm that really demonstrates that it's possible to find yourself in the midst of chaos and distress and pain and suffering, and while there, find hope and strength and grace. And so we, with David, want to learn this, that when we are struggling in the grip of chaos, that we would find and experience the grace of Christ together. Psalm 25, today we're looking at verses 8 through 11, which reads, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would teach us today that you would give us the grace that we need, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would cause our love for you and for each other to grow. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the help that we need to persevere in life, even when it's difficult, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't like it when old people dog younger people, like generationally. It's okay for an old person to make fun of a young person. I like that. I just mean to treat a generation. When older generations treat younger generations as ignorant and inept, I don't like that because I remember what it was like, you know, being Gen X when, you know, the, the boom, my boomer parents and the builder, their parents, uh, would make fun of us. So I, I never really bought into that. I don't like doing that. But... There are some things that younger generations miss out on that older generations had to experience or navigate. And that's, it's, it's not their fault. It's just the way things are. Culture changes. Things change. My son, Elias, did his first out-of-state trip. He drove his car all the way to, uh, I don't remember. I wasn't paying attention. But he drove out of state. And uh, it was a very big deal. And to visit his girlfriend, who's in college, right? So he was driving out his first time. You know, he hasn't even driven into Chicago before. He's like, let's go. I'm going to drive, you know. And I'm thinking, like, well, do you have the route mapped out? You know, because I remember when I was in college to drive out of state, like you had to have the atlas, the highlighter, the, the, you had to have things marked down so you knew what exits to get off on. If you didn't have a navigator, like you had to use their knee and hold the map and look. It was like a whole thing. And he was like, no, I got an iPhone. What are you talking about? Like, I don't, like he doesn't have to map it out. He doesn't have to have an atlas or a map. Uh, and it was, it's just such a strange thing. Like, I'm, I'm sure he knows how to read a map in real life, but I don't, in case he's listening, I can do, I can just tell you he does it with this. Uh, I, I'm sure he knows how to read a map. But like, I was thinking about this because like, if you're on a journey or if you're lost, if you're going somewhere you haven't been before, you do, you do need a map, right, of some sort, whether it's electronic through GPS or, or physical, you need a map. And the map, it needs to be uh, accurate, Right? And it needs to be legible. You have to be able to read it. It can be accurate and un un unreadable. It's not going to help you. So you need all of these things to be true. Without maps, without direction, without some kind of leading, when we are in darkness, when we are in uh, lands that are unfamiliar to us, we are in trouble. 
And this is especially true in life, beyond the actual trips that we go on. I mean, metaphorically, sometimes life gets dark. Sometimes the path that we walk is through the valley of the shadow of death, where the only light that we have is the word of God. And so we, we have to navigate through the darkness by the light of God's word. We need something to guide us to lead us through the chaos. Oftentimes when life is difficult, stressful, when things are beyond our control like they are for David, we need something to guide us. And what we like is something concrete, something clear, something simple step by step. But the best thing that we will ever have to guide us through dark days and days of chaos is the goodness of God. Now, I know that's not what some of you want to hear, like, oh, that sounds rather pious and ethereal and and abstract, but we're going to see why it is. Here's the principle I want us to to grasp, right? It, It is this, that the goodness of God guides us through chaos. When you encounter difficulty, suffering, affliction, things that are outside of your control, and you need to be guided, you, you, you need to find safe passage, you need protection, it is the goodness of God that is your best help. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend our time looking at this concept of the goodness of God. I want to make sure that we have a general understanding of what that means. And then three points, right? I want us to see three things that God does because he is good, right? Because God is good, he speaks. Because God is good, he leads. And because God is good, he forgives. That's where we're going, right? Let's start with this concept of the goodness of God. We see it in our Our verse right here in uh, Psalm 25, verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. God is good. Bible says it all over the place. God's people says it. In fact, even if you weren't raised, you kind of know this, right? God is good. And all the time. I don't like responsive stuff in general, okay? I just don't. But that's a good one, and we all know it, right? We all know that one. That's how significant this doctrine is to our faith, now, what is the goodness of God? It's really, it is, it is, in a sense, connected to God's holiness. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, the apostle says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God's holiness is his otherness. It's his transcendence. It's his bigness. It is his purity, right? He is holy. He is not unholy. He is good. He is not wicked. There is no sin in God. God's goodness, when you're looking at it in scripture, is never an abstract concept. God's goodness is always an aspect of his character. It is who he is, but it is always explained or described to us as it is directed towards his people. God's goodness is always directed towards his people. And so you can think about it like this. God's goodness is his justice and his mercy directed toward his people. That's probably the biggest way that we could summarize it so that we can hold on to it as we make our way through this. To say that God is good, what does that mean? Because we all have our own ideas of what is good. What I think is good, you might not think is what is good, especially when it comes to subjective things in life. But God is good. That doesn't mean that he conforms to our expectations or ideals. It means that he is essential goodness. But how do we understand it? It is in his justice and mercy directed to us. This is when we learn about the goodness of God. And just to kind of put a finer point on that, listen to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. 
Therefore, the, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. This says everything that Psalm 25 is saying, really. That God is a God of justice, that he is a God of mercy, and that we must wait for him, that is, seek him, that is, lift our souls up to him to find the grace, the help that we need in the days of chaos. God is good. Now, if we say that he's a God of justice and a God of mercy, it, it might help to kind of put a finer point on that. Like, what does it mean to say that God is a God of justice? To say that God is a God of justice means that he is a God who vindicates and judges, right? There is vindication and condemnation. There is vindication of the innocent, right? And I know if you're a Christian and you've been following Jesus for a long time, you know no one is innocent before the Lord. We are all guilty before him, yes. But in your life, you are either innocent or guilty, right? Socially, civilly, right? Relationally, you are either innocent or guilty. And so there is this promise that God is a God of justice. The scales will eventually be balanced, and though it looks like the wicked get away with their crimes, we think of maybe politicians and world leaders, they will answer. Eventually, they will answer. If not now, they will answer later for sure. He will vindicate the innocent. He will judge the wicked. And for when you see people that are oppressed and abused and hurt and your heart breaks and you get angry, I just have to see clips of trials on TikTok about kids that are being abused, and I want to start tearing the house apart. Like I, I just, I get so angry thinking about little kids getting hurt by their parents. Then you think like, is there no justice? Like they're just sitting there in their pretty suit and dress and there's like, where are the consequences? Were they going to go to some prison and just like it, and be taken care of by us? Like wh where are the consequences of their actions? The goodness of God guarantees that sin, all sin will be answered. All of it. So God is just, he will vindicate, he will punish, but he is also merciful or kind or gracious. And one of the concepts that Christian theologians have always put forth about God is that he is a benevolent God. Now, benevolent sounds to me like when I hear the word, I think of like Daddy Warboxer. I think of, I, young people won't know what that is. I, I think of like, I, I think of like, the, the, the generous, wealthy person who doesn't know you but will give you something. That's how I think of benevolence. But, but when Christian theologians talk about the benevolence of God, they mean that God is, um, expresses his love towards his children with the aim of making them happy. I like that. God, the Father, aims at your happiness. Now, if you're a parent, you understand this, right? Unless you are a terrible parent. You understand that there's a desire. You want to make your kids happy. You want to see them happy. You want to see them satisfied, joyful, right? You want, you want to give them the best. You want to give them the best gifts. And, and so we give and we sacrifice, right? Not perfectly. We mess up, of course. We make them cry sometimes, you know. But that's, that's, that's a heartfelt desire. This is God. He, he is benevolent towards us. In all that he does, he is good, meaning he is compassionate and generous, he wants us to be satisfied, happy, and joyful in him and with his gifts, justice and mercy toward his people. And mercy, you know, mercy is a, we've talked about this recently, so I'll say it a little bit differently. Mercy is kindness towards those who are miserable. That's what God's mercy is, kindness towards you who are in misery. And we find ourselves there in circumstances for different reasons. Sometimes we're miserable because of our own doing. Sometimes we're miserable because of things beyond our control. But either way, God is compassionate and kind to us in that state. He offers us help. God is good, and he's good to all. He is good to everybody. 
I love this. I love this idea. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Anyone who is honest with their life, regardless of how hard it may be, because some of you have harder lives than, than, than I do. Like some people have easier lives than I do. We're, we're all in different places, right? So there, there, there's ebb and flow to our lives. And so it's never that helpful to compare ourselves to other people. We have to know our own circumstance. And when anybody honestly looks at their own life, they should be able to see the goodness of God in it, even if it is marked by pain or loss. God is good. He is good to all. But he is especially good to his children. He is especially good to us. I like all your kids. I like your kids. What's up, girl? I like, all, I like the babies. I like the kids. At some point, they get annoying. You know, they get older. And you're like, all right, I've had, that's enough. Go away. But like, kids are great. I love kids. We all, and I think if you have kids, you love kids. But I love my kids. I love my kids so much more than I can love yours. And I actually appreciate everybody. Kids are cool. Like, they're fun. They're awesome. But my kids are mine, and so there's this, there's this special kind of love that is completely different, deeper, and more profound. And this is how God relates to his children, his chosen ones, right? He loves us, and he is good to us with that kind of love. In fact, it reflects itself in different ways. For example, God gives good gifts to everybody, right? But to his children, he is giving us gifts that are given to us from a father who knows us and loves us in a special way. So when we read James chapter 1, verse 17, and it says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James is saying, listen, the God who caused you to be born again, the God that gave you salvation, that changed your life, that changed your eternity, that is remaking you in the image of his son, the God who has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ, this is the one, the father who is the one who specifically gives you all of the good gifts you experience, spiritual and earthly. Like the eight cups of coffee I had this morning and a giant extra large glutton gulp from the gas station of Diet Coke, those are good gifts, and I praise God for them. He actually, but probably doesn't want me drinking the Diet Coke. The point is, is that every good thing we have in life is not just an accident. It's not just a thing. It's not, it's not just leftovers from whatever's happening, God gives us things to enjoy, to make us happy, yeah. He is good, and he gives us good gifts. Or Nahum chapter 1, verse 7 is helpful. It's been very encouraging to me as it says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. It's good, right? The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble, he knows those who take refuge in him. And that's the part that's been gripping my heart. God is a, is a shelter. We can go to him for help, for cover, for support. Like he will nourish us. He will, he will guide us. He will guard us, all of this. But it's not as if we're strangers in his care. He knows us. He knows you by name. He knows your weakness, your frame, your temptations. He knows what's bothering you. So when you come to him for shelter, he is the father who already has you figured out. He knows you better than anybody. And he's like, now I will care for you in a way that nobody else can. He knows those who take refuge in him. 
Psalm 27. Just a, you could turn the page, verses 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So here's David saying, I'm not, I know that the promise is that someday, someday in glory, I will see the goodness of God. I will experience it in full. But he's convinced he won't have to wait that long to see the goodness of God. He says, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I'm going to taste of it, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you heard that? He's like, I will. I will see it because he is close, close to the brokenhearted, close to supply our needs. God is good. That's what scripture teaches. God is good, not because he measures up to some preconceived expectation of what we think is good. He is good. All that he does is good. And therefore, we draw near to him. Now, because God is good, he does three things according to this passage. He speaks, he leads, he forgives. He does these things because he is good. So let's back up. Verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. That's, uh, that is such good news. God speaks, and he speaks to sinners. And the reason he speaks, and the reason he speaks to sinners is not just because we are needy. It's better than that. It's because he is good. That's why he speaks to sinners, to the undeserving. To say that God speaks, right, means that he reveals. He doesn't leave us alone in our ignorance, which we have brought upon ourselves, our blindedness, our spiritual deafness. He doesn't leave us there. God speaks to us. And we know if you read Psalm 19, take this week to read Psalm 19. Spend some time in it because the first half of Psalm 19, it's not long. It's not Psalm 119. That's long. Psalm 19, regular. So read the first half of Psalm 19, and it's all about general revelation, how God has revealed himself or how God speaks in creation. Rocks, right? The cosmos, the sky, the sun, birds, be everything. God has revealed himself there. The second half is how God has revealed himself through special revelation, right, or his word. So God has spoken. God has revealed himself. Why? Because he's good. Because he's kind and compassionate. He's just and he's merciful. And he's not just speaking. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming to think about it. God doesn't just speak. He speaks to who? The sinner. He speaks to us. I mean, there are people you don't want to talk to, right? Because they're just intolerable. Look, I ain't got time. I ain't got time for that person. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to talk to that person. We want to get away. God isn't that way. In fact, that's who he makes time for. God speaks to us. Why? Because he's good. He instructs sinners. He instructs. He speaks. It means he teaches why do we need God to speak to us? Why do we need God to instruct us, especially in this context? Chaos, dark days, trial, tribulation, pain, suffering, doubt, confusion. Why? Well, what God is doing in that moment is he is he's instructing us on what to believe. He is instructing us on who he is. Because these are the things that oftentimes get lost, right? These are the things we start to question. He reveals himself that we might know truth. In other words, he's communicating to us, in a profound sense, theology or doctrine. Why? 
there are three basic reasons we need God to speak to us. He does it because he's good. We need it because of our ignorance, our fear, and our doubt. Because when you're going through difficulty, you guys know when, when you are hurting or when you are doubting, right, the, there, there is this, there's a sense of ignorance. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian and how much you've studied the Bible and how many books you've read and how many classes you've taught or whatever it is, you remain ignorant before the face of God. Because God is limitless. God is infinite, eternal. And you are finite and fallen. So no matter how much we learn, we still remain ignorant of much of God, of most of God. You will never exhaust the meaning and the application of God's word. You will always be in need of more instruction, more teaching, more learning. So we are ignorant. And in those difficult times, in those days that are dark and confusing, our ignorance is oftentimes exploited by the devil in the flesh. And we need someone to instruct us, to teach us what we don't know, that we might persevere more strongly, that our faith may grow. So we need God to speak to us because of our ignorance. We need God to speak to us because of our fears, right? We're afraid. When you, okay, so if you have kids, if you don't have kids, you should remember this as a kid, hopefully, hopefully. When your kid's afraid, what do you do? Tell them to go to sleep and close the door? Go, stop being a baby. Close the door, leave them in the dark. If your kid's afraid at night, you talk to them. Like, so my oldest uh, son, Elias, uh, his, his little brother, Killian, He'll watch a scary movie and then go to bed with all the lights off. He don't care. Eli would, would be scared. Eli would just tell me, he's like, ah, he'd come and get me. He's like, I'm really scared. I'm really scared. I'm like, what's wrong, buddy? And he's like, I don't know. I'm just scared in my room. It's dark out. It's nighttime. I don't know. I feel like boogeyman, whatever. And so I would go in there and what we, we talk to them. We draw near to our children when they're scared. We draw near and we speak to them. We want to calm them down. We want to reassure them. We reassure them, listen, the house is locked up tight. This is a safe home. Even if not, dad is here. He's like John Wick, nothing to worry about if anybody gets through. They'll believe it when they're little. Like dad is like whoever their superhero is, like I've got this. And then, and then you assure, I remember I would assure them like, God is with us. He is, he, he, is, he, will, he guards us, he keeps us. We're, we're okay, you're okay. Read scripture, pray with him. See, as adults, you know, the stakes are higher. We're, we grow fearful because we see, you know, life getting rocked through loss or sickness or whatever. We, the future can be terrifying. The present can be terrifying. So God speaks to us to calm us down. And then he, he, he speaks to us because of our doubts, right? Like, we all doubt. All Christians doubt. There is no Christian faith without doubt because there is no Christian with perfect faith. And so sometimes our doubts are larger. Sometimes our doubts are smaller. But in our doubt, God doesn't roll his eyes and go, I can't believe you don't trust me yet. In every moment that we doubt, God says, be assured, my word is true. I am present. It is his goodness that moves him to speak to us. God is good. Therefore, he speaks. God is good. That's why he leads. Because God is good, he leads us. Look at verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 25. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. God leads. Why does God lead? Why does he need to lead us? Why do, we have, why does any, why do any of us need to be led anywhere? We need to be led when we don't know where we're going. 
Then you need somebody or something to lead you. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going somewhere. I need somebody to lead, somebody to show the way. Even if you know where you're going, you might not know how to get there. So you need someone to lead. And God is taking you somewhere. And, 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 and obviously, this is a metaphor, but where God is taking you, sometimes you know the general destination, heaven, glory, maturity, stronger faith. You know God is taking you there, but you might not know the path that it'll take. And even if you know, like, well, I kind of know the path in general, we oftentimes lack the strength to do it, and so God leads us by walking with us and empowering us, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? That's, that place sounds horrible. Why aren't you afraid? Because God is with me to guide me, to protect me, to provide for me. He will take such good care of me because he is a good shepherd that I don't have to be afraid at all. God leads because we can't get there on our own. We oftentimes don't know where we're going. And how is it that God leads? Now, listen, the word here to keep in mind is paths. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. All the paths of the Lord. You see, these are the ways in which God leads us, his paths. And the paths that God leads us down don't always feel so good, right? They could be gnarly, scary, frustrating. And so we have to be reassured again and again. God is speaking to us here, and he's like, no, 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 listen. All of my paths, they're not just good. They're steadfast love and faithfulness. Be assured. So how does God lead? What are these paths? I'll give you three of them. The paths of the Lord are his precepts, his promises, and his providence. Not bad, huh? Three Ps. It's like once a year, I'll do that. Okay, as a, sub, as a set of subpoints, because I'm not good at that. So God's paths, which are promised, guaranteed to be steadfast love, precepts, promises, and providence. So his precepts are his commands. The commands of God are steadfast love. The commands of God are good. Why do we need to be reassured of this? Because sometimes we don't like his commands. They feel painful. I got to be patient. I know, like, like, I know we laugh about that because none of us like to be patient, right? Most of us don't. But like, I mean, like, patience is called long-suffering. We did a whole sermon on this, right? It, it's, it's painful. It's hard. It can be arduous. It's not comfortable. We're supposed to strive and work hard at commands, to strive, to love, to forgive. The commands of God don't always feel good. They should, but we are who we are. So God reassures us. He says, listen, I know that my commands, you know, they, they're intense. And you're never going to measure up. You can't. You're fallen. You're sinful. But they're good. And they're good for you. All of my paths are steadfast love. But we don't just have his precepts. We also have his promises, right? We don't just have his law. We also have the gospel, the promises that God gives us. And we need these. We need these promises, all of them. And we need to be reminded of them again and again. God's promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that nothing can separate us from his love, that the good work that he begins in us, he will carry through to completion. The promise that he forgives our sins and doesn't remember them or hold them against us, that God delights in us and has made a dwelling for us eternally with him and with his other children the promise of God causes all things to work together for our good. We need these promises. They give us hope in difficult days, in a climate of chaos, 
He comforts us. His promises are good. They are all good and steadfast love. And so is his providence. It's another path to consider. God's providence is his, his continual, sovereign, organizing care over all things at all times. To say that God is the God of providence means he's in your business all the time, every day. It means that he is not just in control of the big events of your life, he's in control of the small. He is a God of details. He's in it all, which means sometimes providence is rather dark and ominous, right? Because your life can be dark and ominous. We have days that are filled with peace and joy, and it's easy. The sun's out, but it's not too hot. It's like it's good days, plenty to eat, lots of people, lots of friends, good days. Other days, you feel isolated and alone, and it's raining on you, and you're freezing, and you're starving. And God's providential over all of it. And we need to be assured that God's providence, no matter how bleak the sky, how dark the night, no matter how difficult the circumstances, God's providence for us is steadfast love. It is good, like him. God is good. We need to be assured of these things. All of his paths are steadfast love. The problem is... God speaks and God leads, but you can't learn and you can't follow unless you're humble, right? Somebody can lead, but <laughs> it's like, if you're not humble, you're not, you're not going to follow. You're not going to learn. And we see this throughout the song. He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. I mean, this is, this is what is needed on our part to learn this, to know the goodness of God, especially in the grip of chaos. We have to humble ourselves. To humble yourself doesn't mean that you think that you're an idiot or that you're a scumbag or that you're a total, like sometimes we, we have the wrong notion of humility is to understand who God is, creator, sovereign, eternal, good, and who we are, made in God's image, but sinful and corrupt. We belong to him. He owns us, so we owe him everything, and yet he loves us and redeems us, and so we belong to him twice, right? He made us, and then he redeemed us, so humility comes from understanding who you truly are in relationship to God and others, right? When it comes to one another, we're all the same. When it comes to God, he is other. He is exalted, and we are made for him. So uh, what does it really mean to be humble, especially when you're going through... <sighs> painful circumstances or seasons of doubt, uh, I'll give you some practical advice. I'll, I'll keep it simple and practical. We'll be brief here. Um, to be humble and to learn from God and be led by God, you need to slow down and shut up. Because I know like, sometimes we get into these seasons and it's like things are out of control. I got to take care of business. And we start kind of maniacally going after everything we can to fix things or to busy ourselves, and, and we, we start talking a lot. You know, like if I had, I, I, don't, I don't talk, I, I guess I talk a lot. I talk more when I'm having a bad day. If I'm having a bad day, I try to, try to talk about the bad day. Right? Like I, the, the complaint-o-meter uh, hits, hit, hits, hits an 11 if by 
10.30 a.m., I've had four bad experiences. Like, oh, this is going to be a bad day. Let's talk about it. And so we start talking. And sometimes we need to talk. We need to vent. We need people to talk to. But in our hearts and in our minds, when we are going through difficulty, we need to quiet ourselves. Because if we don't slow down and if we don't shut up, we can't listen to God. We can't learn from him. So yes, be quiet, calm down, and listen. Listen. Stop talking. Start listening. Listening to God, his word, the people that he brings into your lives that are speaking truth because God is good. He's good. He's worth listening to. Because God is good, he speaks. Because God is good, he leads. And because God is good, he forgives. See verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. We've mentioned this before a few times now in this psalm. David here in this psalm is essentially a victim, right? He is being hurt by people that he cannot control. We don't know the details, but he is suffering. And so he's asking God, hey, don't let the evil people that are trying to hurt me win. Don't let them triumph over me and mock you. But he never ever forgets his own corruption. He never forgets his own sinfulness. He doesn't look at them and go, I'm so much better than those losers. He goes, wow, those wicked people are trying to hurt me. Lord, protect me from those wicked people. And while we're at it, Lord, forgive me for my sin because my sin is great. That's what he says. It's not lost on him. He understands. And God forgives forgives. In Jesus Christ, he forgives all of our sins, all of them. When do you stop forgiving somebody? I'm seven, seven, 70 times seven. Like, don't stop with that, okay? Okay, Jesus can say that, and we're supposed to do that, but you don't do that. Neither do I. There's a point where we go, I'm, that's it. I'm not, I'm not forgiving. No more forgiving this person. Burn me too many times. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's what we do. God never stops forgiving you, Ever. He won't. He won't stop forgiving you. He won't grow weary in extending to you grace and mercy because his love knows no limit. Can't out-sin his mercy or his grace. God forgives. And here's the thing. God not only forgives us of our sins, he reminds us that we are forgiven of our sins which experientially is better. It's one thing to be forgiven, right? That's sweet. Woohoo, forgiven to know that you're forgiven. Wow, that's that's amazing. And that's the problem. It's like, you know, we, we tend to lose sight of it. We forget it, in a sense. I mean, if you're a Christian, you know you're forgiven of your sins, but you don't always dwell on it. And then there are times when your guilt gets the better of you and you begin to not think so much that God has taken away our sin and our guilt, that he sees us, that he sees you, Christian, holy and blameless and pure and beautiful in righteousness. That's how he sees you. So he reminds us again and again and again, and he gives us all these reminders, corporate worship, the Lord's Supper, the regular preaching and reading of God's word, the songs that we sing, it's all reminders of God's love for us that in Jesus Christ, his son, he has taken away our sins and we are forever accepted and loved by him. Nothing can separate us from the love of God because God is good. That's why, because God is good. Because God is good, he forgives. Because God is good, we can find grace to help in our time of need. 
And that's the thing, the fine, right? You gotta find, like, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. By the way, one of you old people need to explain that to me. I don't even understand, like, what's the silver lining in the clouds? Somebody, I don't want to Google it, just tell me. Uh, tell me what that means, because I know it came from that generation, one of those boomer builder generations. You guys got to tell me, I don't know. But we understand the principle, right? Every cloud has a silver lining. It can sound trite, but the truth for us is we need to find grace in the midst of grief. We need to find God in the midst of our trouble. How do we do that? How do we, how do we find good in chaos? We find it by locating the goodness of God. The goodness of God is what guides us through chaos. And so let me say two things here. We'll, we'll wrap it up with this. Two things. One, if you are not a Christian, then you certainly know chaos, the chaos of life, right? We all do. What I want you to know is the goodness of God in Jesus Christ, where justice and mercy meet. It's a passage in Titus, Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. This is what Christians say of themselves, and this is what I want for you. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's what is offered to you. In Jesus Christ, his son, justice is met. For your sins, Christ takes the justice, the punishment, the condemnation that you deserve. And in Jesus Christ, you receive the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that you need. God is good. And for the Christian, I, I want us to find the goodness of God, to be comforted, to be strengthened, so that we will learn to practice goodness ourselves. See, God doesn't just tell you that he's good. He commands you to be good, right? In Micah 6, verse 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love, kindness, and walk humbly with your God. God isn't calling you to do something that he isn't himself. He's like, I want you to walk in my ways. I want you to look like me. So he demonstrates who he is. He teaches us, I am goodness. I am good. And he directs justice and love towards us in beautiful ways as only a father can. And then he says, and now I want you to look like me. I want you to walk like me. I want you to do justice. I want you to love mercy and walk humbly with me. We can, by his grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would continue to teach us, lead us, Speak to us by your word. We pray, God, that we would not forget the forgiveness of our sins, but as you remind us that we would sing it and celebrate it and then preach it to anyone else who will listen because, Lord, we want everyone to be forgiven of their sins. We pray, God, that whoever is going through um, challenging, difficult, confusing, scary times, we pray, God, that you would comfort them, that you would guide them, 
that you would support them. In fact, Lord, we are confident that you will do these things because you're good. In Jesus' name, amen.